Thank you for listening to this episode of Courtside Indiana Podcast. Please hit the subscribe or add button on your podcast app to get them delivered straight to your phone, tablet, or desktop. As always, we'd appreciate our rating and review. And you can reach us directly on our Courtside Indiana Twitter at CourtsideIND. at Indiana Podcast. I'm Jim Reamer, recording episode 135 today. Sorry for the late arrival. We have been dodging and ducking recording times and is really going to be uh, putting this one out by myself this weekend. So it's just going to be me for about 30 minutes. We have a good topic. I uh, would have would have liked to have talked it over with Nick because I can't remember what, what we were doing. We were probably the tail end of what was the or close to the tail end of what was the heyday of the AAU state tournament. So that's the topic. There was a question posed. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if there was like a best of Indiana AAU event every year? And, and the answer was, is there used to be, and it used to be pretty important. So we'll get to that after I get the recruiting updated. Want to get you on that. We didn't want to go a whole week without doing this stuff. Um, but uh, like I said, some schedules were getting crossed up. So Updating from last week, we've got s- several offers, as, as you could probably imagine, this time of year. I think it's going to be like this for the foreseeable future, simply because you're going to have 2020 uh, schools looking heavily at 2023s and and realizing they're not getting their li- guys maybe higher up on their list or realizing they're not getting, you know, they didn't get the guys they wanted in transfer portal or, or felt like they needed. So now they're going to really turn their attention heavy duty on the uh, on the incoming seniors. And that's just the landscape we've got. And we can, seems like every time we get a, a gap or, you know, it seems like a couple times a year, we talk about how the transfer portal impacts recruiting as well as COVID. You know, again, a lot of these guys, these seniors are just going through their third legitimate exposure period uh, where they're, you know, heavy duty coaches at, at these big events and, and, uh, you know, the June stuff is nice for sure. Uh, but but there's just so many more coaches out at the July events, especially the four or five platforms that, you know, the shoot, the shoot tournaments, the NY2LA stuff and the hoop scene stuff out of out of uh, out of Georgia. So anyway, let's get updated. Aiden Franks, 2023, a senior going to be a senior at Wapahani, picked up uh, basically an offer from Wabash. Joey Hart picked up, it looks like, a couple of offers this week, one from Toledo and one from Florida Atlantic. Uh, He's a senior at Linton. Uh, Let's see, Jalen Harrelson also picked up a couple of offers this week. He picked up an offer from Auburn. He picked up an offer from Michigan. Also picked up an offer from Iowa. So those are three offers he picked up this week. J.Q. Roberts from Bloomington North, senior. Picked up offers from Virginia Tech and from Vanderbilt, so he's expanding his his high major his high major plate, so to speak. Uh, David Merriweather picked up what is currently listed as a Division II offer, but is going to soon be a Division One offer, and that is uh, Southern Indiana has offered him. They are going to be moving up into the Division One ranks, I think this year maybe. Uh, I believe they're going to be in the Ohio Valley Conference. We'll, do a little bit more digging on that. Uh, but he also picked up an offer from Moorhead State. So a couple of OVC offers for him. Uh, Marcus Burton picked up an offer from Drake, the senior point guard from Penn. 
Trent Sisley, a sophomore, picking up another high major offer in Iowa. Brandon Trilly picked up an offer from, uh, he's a senior from Munster, picked up a Division II offer from Northern Michigan. Flory Badunga picked up four offers this week. The junior forward center from Kokomo picked up offers from Georgetown, Cincinnati, Auburn, and Arizona State. So that's a nice week for him. It's a nice haul. Jake Davis, as we have said here many times before, we have felt like he is a low, definitely a Division One player, that a low major school would, would benefit from figuring out ways to make him work within their offense. He just does so many other different, so many nice things in the court. And, and it, as a kid who can guard the four at a, at a lower D1 level, he's a, he's a floor spacer at that. So he picked up an offer from from SEMO, Southeast Missouri. Um, talked about Jalen Harrelson. Gavin Welch then picked up an offer. He's a senior at Newcastle, picked up an offer from Bethel. So those are the those are the offers. We had two commitments this week. One was an out, outgoing senior, Judah Simfuque. Uh, committed to Goshen, and then we had Zane Dowdy. Uh, I'm sorry, Simfukwe was a uh, point guard from Warsaw, a senior, and then Zane Dowdy, a junior center from Ben Davis, who had a was had a wonderful year. Um, picked up or committed to Valparaiso. So, I think the Horizon League or the the um, Missouri Valley is a great fit for him. We I talked a little bit with one of their assistants, at the top 100. The, the things that he does well for Ben Davis, he's going to do well at the Division One level. He is he's going to rebound, he's going to defend, he's going to screen, he's going to be a vertical threat in in any of their exchange offenses. So like ball ball screens, dribble handoff, get action, anything like that. He's going to be a threat to attack the rim as a rim runner from that perspective, and he'll be a great rim runner in transition too. So when he's not the guy. <laughs> when he's not starting the break with the rebound, he'll be the guy leading it uh, or, or or ahead of it on the rim run. So those things he does translates. He's got to get better offensively. He's got to get a better feel with his back to the basket. He has shown some nice touch. I still think it's not going to be the the main part of what attracts him to, to Valparaiso. And I think that the things that he does well, um, he's, he's a very high IQ kid. So he's able to got a pretty good sense of where the ball is going to come off. And then he rebounds out of his area. So that's, it's a good pickup for Valpo. Um, and it's a good area. It's a good landing spot for Zane. Again, the Missouri Valley is a, is a good league for him. And, and you know, the more he improves his skill set, even maybe even developing, a, you know, a jump shot uh, from mid-range where he can be maybe even a short roll guy, you know, he would probably have to be able to pass out of that environment as well. But, but him and ball screen action and, and handoff action as a rim runner, he's, he's got a chance to make some plays there. And you know what? Guys make money after college doing that. So, you know, Zane's got a bright future ahead of him. So, so that's it. I think um, other than JQ Roberts picking up again, another group of high major offers, um, you know, I think, which is, it's interesting because he's got the offer, you know, he's got the offer from Indiana. Um, Let's check his offers real quick. Make sure I get this right. You know, he got, his first offer was IUPUI. He had a he had a bevy of mid major offers. IU sort of broke the bubble in terms of uh, in terms of high major offers back in October. Butler offered soon thereafter. Iowa followed suit, and then it kind of died down for a couple of months. Marquette got involved, and then he just picked up 
three offers recently, Evansville, Virginia Tech, and Vanderbilt, the last two being being high major offers. You know, it, it puts him in that borderline case, you know, and I think there's going to be some questions at the high major level as to what his go-to, what his go-to is offensively. I think in, at a Missouri Valley level league, a mid, you know, a high, you know, a good mid-major league. Again, the Valley every now and then still gets still gets two, two in the tournament, so there's still an occasional multi-bid league. I think uh, anytime he if he plays at that level, he's going to be, um, he he's going to be in a position where he can play the four a little bit more effectively. And there, with his developing skill set, you know, maybe still questionable at the high major level. At the mid-major level, it's not. He could be a skilled four. He can be an athletic four. But, um, you know, but his, his offensive skill set's improving. So, you know, again, it's not an easy transition for some guys. He's, he's done a good job with it. He's certainly becoming uh, more consistent on a catch-and-shoot basis from the – you know, on a catch-and-shoot basis from the three-point line when he's open. Um, he's able to drive a straight line, get to the basket. And, you know, a lot of times in this day and age of driving closeouts, um, that's, that's it. He's not going to be out there trying to break people down. He's, he's going to be a really good, maybe at the high major, the more he can play a three, the more attractive he is. But at the mid-major, he's already attractive because he can definitely, he's got the size and athleticism and length to play that, to play that four spot. So the question was, I don't know if he wants his name out there, so I won't say it. But the question was, what would it take for there to be a best of Indiana AAU tournament in the summer? You know, and his suggestion was maybe 16 teams. You know, you'd have four rounds. And and my reply to him was, this is a guy that I know that that listens every week. And he's got a son that plays. You know, my, my answer was, is the state tournament used to be a big deal. You know, back. I started doing this in 1991. I started coaching in 1991. And what excited me about getting involved was first, I mean, I was basically dared by a couple of Carmel's better players to to do it. They didn't have a team. I asked them why not. They said they didn't know. And then they asked me to coach. They sort of dared me to coach. And then that's how I got started. And, and, you know, basically it was the Olympic conference all-stars and, for those that don't know what the Olympic Conference was, it was Carmel, Noblesville, Madison Heights, Anderson Highland, and and Connorsville, and and Muncie South, Muncie North before it closed. Of course, Muncie South before it closed. None of the Muncie schools that are in it are now are open any longer. The two the two Anderson schools that are were in it are no longer open. Uh, there used to be called a school called Kokomo Hayworth for those that uh, the younger listeners. That's no longer a school. Uh, Connorsville was in there for a couple of years. Jay County was in there for a couple of years. It was nice when Noblesville was in there because that was obviously a natural rival for Carmel. Um, so the, and Jay County had some nice teams. So there were, there was rarely a, a dead, a down game in that, in that term or in that conference from a basketball perspective, it was an absolutely horrible football conference, which is why Carmel bailed and started to seek, uh, you know, bigger pastures. Uh, but it was, a, it was a really good basketball conference. And for those that don't remember, you know, people are complaining about sectional 10 or sectional eight, how loaded it is, especially sectional 10. Um, the Anderson sectional, all three of those Anderson schools were really good. Alexandria typically was really good. You know, and in 1996, they had two divisions. Their class 9016, they had two division one kids, Mickey Hosier 
and Chris Hahn. Mickey went to Ball State. Chris went to Akron. You know, so all those teams were pumping out talent. I mean, Frankton was usually pretty good. LaPel figured out a way to be competitive certain years uh, before class basketball. And sure, Anderson, Madison Heights, and, and, and Highland, especially Madison Heights and Anderson, kind of ruled the roost in terms of winning sectionals. Uh, but and it seemed like Highland, as, as talented as they were, sometimes had a hard time getting over the hump. But, you know, and, and but, but those were that Anderson sectional was the, the place to be if you didn't have another game to go to. Like when Carmel was done or, or if there was a night when Carmel wasn't playing, my butt was getting tickets and going to the wigwam. And so those were the schools that were in that conference. And so I put together a good group. So well, I'm not going to get into too much detail there. Sorry, it's actually kind of a tangent. But, but the point was is that the state tournament, especially the 17 and underage group, was a big deal. It was a two-weekend deal. 14s, 15s, and 16s, those age groups, played the second and third weekends of June. The first weekend of the tournament was basically, well, for a few years, it was just simple bracket play, but it quickly went to pool play because it was, these, sometimes these pools would end up stacked. And there's a good story there that probably isn't to be told another day, but they went to pool play so they could get, more teams, a little bit more of an opportunity to, I guess, maybe get beat and still advance. So the top two teams from each pool would advance to bracket play the following week. And it, it turned into basically, you know, you'd play a game Friday night, that bracket play, you'd come back and play two games on Saturday, and then you'd come back and play two games on Sunday. You know, and that was sort of like a little mini March Madness. I mean, Brown, it was held at Brownsburg High School, the old high school gym, the old varsity gym. And people turned out the gym was probably two thirds full for these games, especially the bracket play games. Uh, when, when everything was just basically down to, to one court. And it was a fun environment. And, you know, and, and the state tournament at the 14 and 15 year old age group, the times I was involved with it would be like at Perry Meridian to think where else they would be Perry Meridian was the main place and then they would have their finals the next week at University of Indianapolis at Nickerson Hall so they would play there at the, the, the two facilities the, the two courts there on, on Indianapolis's campuses so where it was before the early and mid 90s I don't know I, I know that it's sort of kind of moving around it, it, it did end up in Franklin at some point especially for the 14s 15s and 16s but the 17s was steadfastly in Brownsburg. And, and it was always a, a major event, especially, you know, non-division one coaches would be there. It was, it just was a cool deal. So what's changed since then, you know, and back then we didn't start playing until April. There was some sort of pseudo agreement between AAU and the IHSAA. I don't know what it was. I don't know how it came to be, but I think there's just some issues where, Maybe the IHSA was hoping more kids would be would, would participate in spring sports. But for some reason, there was this sort of quiet agreement that we wouldn't start playing till May. And some of these bigger events in other states started to change that. And when we figured out that it wasn't really a rule, it was more of like an agreement. We started playing in April. But the state tournament was always in June. It was always two weekends in June. 
you know, and then some of these big tournaments like the run and slam, which originally was held in, in Lafayette started popping up. We would go to Columbus, Ohio every, every year, Memorial day weekend. Uh, this was even before like the Adidas May classic started was actually an Adidas event versus just an event run by an Adidas sponsored team. Um, you know, we probably played in, well, we, we probably played in four or five events in April and May leading into June. And then we played two weekends in June. And then we had this tremendously long open period in, in July. So what started changing that, of course, was, well, the, the main thing was obviously the high school coaches being able to have their full program in the summer and how that has become such a June thing. So it already started to diminish a little bit because more and more teams would go the Vegas route. And, and really the reasons, the, the main incentive for playing in state was qualifying for nationals. And especially at the 16 and 17 underage group, where you also have what was called the super showcase. If you qualified for nationals, you were pretty much going to, especially out of Indiana, you were pretty much going to get an invite to the super showcase. So you're basically looking at two trips, two events for the price of one, at least in terms of travel costs. Sure, we're, we're paying for extra nights of hotels or in our case condos, but at the same time, you're only flying down there once. And it just, you're, you're at 11 days in Orlando. There was always a day or two in between. So you could have kind of have some fun time, maybe hit the beach. So those were things that we did consistently at 16 and 17, 15s, we would take them to Vegas and, and then 16s and 17s, we would, we would do um, the super showcase and nationals and the 15 and under nationals was always separate, was always a different location, sometimes Kingsport, Tennessee, uh, trying to think one year it was, I want to say it was in Oklahoma, um, one year it was Indianapolis or, or Bloomington. I'm sorry. One year it was in Bloomington. And, you know, effectively you could do AAU nationals and Vegas. So that's what we would do with 15 and under when the Vegas thing was still a deal. But then at 16 and 17, it was pretty much, pretty much, um, uh, pretty much AAU nationals and showcase. And that was kind of a Nike thing too. Bloomington Red was with Nike back then. That's the program I was coaching out with. That they are now Indiana Elite. Was with them for oh, almost a decade. And the Nike teams did the nationals. And this was before they really were in Vegas too seriously, too deeply. And that started to change in the late, in the mid, in the late nineties. And you started to see sort of this evolution to everything being like the, everything major being in Vegas and basically ending in Vegas. And that started to take its toll. Now you still would have some East Eastern half of the U S teams sticking, um, you know, sticking with AAU and nationals, but, but, you know, really it's starting around the mid, actually it was probably the mid two thousands is when, um, is when Vegas for Nike became a big deal. Up to that point, teams were just going. Teams were just going to to Orlando to finish off. Um, but but when Nike started to get more heavily involved, you had Adidas and Nike out in Vegas, so you had both those major teams. They they didn't. This was before the EYBL. This was before shoot. This was before the shoe tours. Um, they, you know, they were sending their top teams out there, and it was a, it was a major event. 
what changed was when the shoe company started pulling out of Vegas because they were just getting some bad press. I'm not sure what Vegas had to do with it other than just being the implication of it being Sin City. But, but as they started to pull out of Vegas, that's when they started ramping up these shoe tours. And so the shoe tours then became extra weekends. And that's what you're seeing now. Then when the NCAA changed their calendar to where they were going to have two open periods in April, they were going to have open periods in July. That's pretty much the only time college coaches could come out. Um, they started putting in more restrictions. It pretty much became you played in these events when the coaches were there and, and that everything else for a lot of us was just kind of local. Uh, but you still had big events to dance around and you had proms and spring sports and it just was tough. So AAU tried to move their state tournament to late April, early May, and it just never took. You know, sometimes they would conflict with the run and slam and teams didn't want to do that because they weren't going to go to nationals. So if you weren't going to nationals, there, there became a point after the mid 2000s where you just didn't care about state. And only once after 2005 did we play in, I've been, I'm not sure we played in a state tournament since 2007. I think that's the last time I think I worried about playing in a state tournament. I think there were a couple of times we put younger teams in there uh, because the nationals would have been a nice place for them to go. Um, but we did not do that at the high school level um, starting around 2007 ish or so, which is about the time the shoe company started having at least some of their loosely knit tours. Um, Vegas was still a thing. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to get my ears crossed here. No, we did state. I'm sorry. I apologize. We did state up until 2011. So 2010 was the, the final year that summer. The, two, the class of 2015 team was my first team that did not do anything from an AAU perspective, uh, state or nationals. Everything was wrapped around Vegas or shoe-type tournaments or tour-type tournaments. So, But what was left of it was really stamped in stone when the high school coaches took June over. And that's been an, that's been an enjoyable process for someone like me. Uh, it's I know it's still a hectic time for the kids. It's not like they're getting a break. They're just with their school teams. But for someone like me who likes to go to the games and, and basically likes to see these guys playing in new roles or in some cases bigger roles, you know, June's nice. But but it pretty much started the beginning of the end for the AAU state tournament. And and that's and that's kind of bad because Orlando's a good spot to end the year. It's, it's fun. And, and usually you can time your vacation out. You could time it out to where you get a couple of days to hit the beach. And, and if, if you're so inclined and, and, or, or, you know, when they were doing both events to showcase and the nationals, you definitely had some built in time in the middle where you were going to be able to do some touristy stuff, universal studios, of course, Disney's there, uh, but universal studios is a favorite of mine. Um, you know, and, and Cocoa beach was the closest beach. So there would be kids, families in droves going that direction. So it was always a good way to end the summer uh, because not only was it not only was it a great venue playing on Disney's campus at the wide world at the wide world of sports, but you were always playing against some of the top teams in the country. And you know, as somebody who has coached teams that have placed and 
it's it was a great environment for coaches to watch games. Uh, it was a pretty good environment for parents to watch games because it's such a nice facility, and they really did it. They really did it. You know, top top class. They they really took good care of the teams that were there, and you know, and it's it's too bad that it's it's not that, and it's not that these events, other events, and these tour events don't take care of their teams because they do, but now it's so scattered. It's 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 so scattered now that it's it's tough to get what the question was, which is especially at the state level, you know, how do we really figure out who the best teams in the state are? Um, a lot of times the best teams in the state only come together and play in, in events is when you have all these other teams from out of state. You know, it's, it's tough to get, find a spot in the calendar to make that happen. But, but I wanted to tell a little bit of the history of it. I know that we didn't, you know, there's not much, uh, didn't have much topic going on, especially we couldn't record with Nick today. So I wanted to touch on that. It was a good topic. And, you know, and it's something that I was part of. So it was something that I could at least expand on. And, and I don't know that he was expecting there to be a definite answer, just why wasn't there one, but the answer was, well, there used to be. And so that's kind of how it went. So appreciate you listening. I uh, wanted to, wanted to say that um, box out sports is your leading online graphic solution, giving you the ability to create professional content in seconds to highlight your team and student athletes this season. You can sign up for a free demo at boxoutsports.com. If you're an athletics director, you haven't, you haven't uh, joined this, this platform yet. It's, it's outstanding. Christmas addicts does an outstanding job with it. More and more schools do a good job with it. Carmel's picked up on it and it's, it's an easy way for you to put out uh, information on your team and your athletes. So I want to thank you for listening to Courtside Indiana podcast. If you listen every week, we appreciate it. If not, please hit that subscribe or add button on your podcast app and get them delivered straight to your phone, tablet, or desktop. As always, we'd appreciate a rating and review. And you can reach us directly on our Courtside Indiana Twitter and Instagram at Courtside IND. That's Courtside IND. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.